Boy, that goes quickly, doesn't it? Keep smiling. So right now, we're going to invite, or I'm going to invite, Pastor Chris up here to share the Word of God with us this morning. Why don't you give him a round of applause? That was even better. I wonder how many of you were lying when you were clapping and cheering that you didn't really want me up here. None of you, that's good to hear. I believe that. I've done it again. Let's pray before I begin. Lord, we thank you that the truth of your word sets us free. No chain or shackle can hold us if we actually act on the truth of your word, the truth of your sacrifice, and the truth of who you are. And we embrace that as we listen to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I begin, I want to tell you a story. I think over the last couple of weeks, I've talked to a lot of people, and I've probably mentioned it from here. There's a, there's a program on the ABC called The Checkout. And I'm, I've got a bit, I'm a bit of a fan yeah, is that it? that's enough. I'll tell the jokes here. You just keep quiet in the front row. Good grief. My only chance to speak. And <laughs> anyway, where was I? And who's, who's heard of permeate free milk? Because this actually ties in with my message, because this is about lying. At some point, I don't know, probably about... Two years ago, 18 months, two years ago, the word permeate began to circulate in the media about milk, began to permeate, yes. And the fact that our milk contained permeate. And somebody had got onto this idea that our milk had been so overprocessed that, and we were being so hoodwinked that this stuff called permeate was being added to our milk to dilute it and thin it down and the milk we were drinking wasn't really just milk it was milk with permeate added and so there was this huge campaign which now results if you go to your supermarket they see most milks are labeled permeate free a great victory for consumer activism the only trouble is that permeate is milk and it all came about because there are regulations by law, and I don't know how they made them in law because I'm sure it's made by the cow, about how much protein and how much fat is allowed to be in something and still be called milk. Not quite sure why. But milk companies, because this law was foisted upon them, decided that the easiest way to make sure that they complied with this regulation was to precisely determine the amount of fat and the amount of protein in, in the milk. So what they did was they took out the fat and the protein and they measured it and put it back in. That's permeate. That's all it, that's all it was. They just took a bit out of the milk, adjusted the ratio and chucked it back in. And so consumer activism had a great victory in changing the labelling of milk which actually changed absolutely nothing. 
because somebody got hold of the wrong information and told a lie. Now, that's probably one in a million story. The rest of advertising is all false and don't believe any of it. <laughs> but it just shows how even the best intentioned of people can get caught on board and change things that don't need changing because somebody hasn't told the truth. And somebody has got upset because they've believed a lie. I just thought I'd throw that one in. That wasn't part of my notes or anything. So that's a freebie. The ninth commandment. And, we get, and for those of you who aren't aware, we're going through this year all the commandments to discuss what they actually mean in today's society. Because who knows there are ten of them? And that they were handed to Moses on some tablets, uh, which he had to go and get again because he smashed the first lot. I think he tripped on his way down. And uh, Apple wouldn't give him a refund. And so... The Ten Commandments were delivered to the children of Israel as, as a framework for their life. And we need to look and say, well, we're not the children of Israel. We're living in Australia. And our society is quite different. Do these commandments have relevance today? And are they actually important? And the answer before you start guessing is yes. The question we need to work out is how we actually use those commandments and how we understand those commandments today and number nine which is where we are at the moment says you must not testify falsely against your neighbor now we can loosely translate that into do not lie seems pretty straightforward but note how it's actually given it says you must not testify falsely against your neighbor it actually specifies someone you sort of think well, why do that i mean you look at commandment number eight it says do not steal it does not say don't, do not steal from mike but everybody else is fair game it just says do not steal the implication is that you don't steal from anybody but here it's not don't bear false witness it's don't bear fault witness, witness against your neighbour. So why do you think? Why do you think it's specific? I think, and this is only what I think, it's actually because it's quite closely linked to commandment 10. Because who remembers what commandment 10 was? You must not covet. But it doesn't stop there. It says your neighbour's wife, his goods, his donkeys, whatever he's got. And so why do these two commandments talk about your neighbour and the rest of them tend to be far more generous? I think part of that comes from the fact that coveting doesn't require anything really except thinking, does it? It's a pretty soft, soft sin. You're just thinking stuff. Nobody gets hurt. You know, you covet stuff you don't have to tell anybody. Nobody's ever going to find out. It's not like you've gone and kicked their door in or, or, or hit them or something. They don't even know you're coveting half the time. So it seems a bit soft, but if you want to get the recordings of the last four messages on, on the Tenth Commandment, you'll discover that it's actually a very dangerous and, and insidious sin that we need to, to guard against. And so we look at number nine, and it again mentions neighbor, because it says, don't testify falsely. And what's that? That's just words. It doesn't say, don't go and smash your neighbour's head in with a brick it's just saying something about it, saying I'd like to bash my neighbour's head in with a brick 
But you're not really going to do it. You're just saying. Just saying, you know. And so we get into this idea that thinking isn't particularly harmful. And saying things might be a bit more harmful, but it's nowhere near as harmful as physical action like stealing. And so I believe that God put the word neighbour in there to make us think about, okay, so if it's not so bad, why does it specify neighbour? And I believe it's because it makes it personal. And God personalises it especially to get our attention. Let me ask you a question by reading a scripture. Turn with me, if you've got your Bibles or your iPhones or iPads, to Luke 10, 25. We've got Jesus here talking to religious people. And it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. It's interesting that he wanted to test Jesus. Jesus wasn't in an exam. He wasn't sitting a test for anything, but people were testing just like we test the commandments. You know, don't bear false witness against your neighbour, but what about the guy three down the road? Is he my neighbour? Can I actually lie about him? Somebody I don't know. Let's pick Russell Crowe and tell lies about him because he's not my neighbour. He asked, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now it's interesting because Matthew, Mark, and Luke both have similar passages where Jesus is asked a similar question. And obviously it's something that was on the, the mind of the Pharisees because this isn't the first time they've asked him. How do we know this? Because the first two times, Jesus said what the important commandments were. But here, he asks this man, and the man knows the answer. Because he's heard it from Jesus before. And so they keep asking him this question, because they're trying to trip him up and find out something. And so Jesus says, right, do this, and you will live. The next sentence is important. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Just as some of you are asking now, surely there's somebody I'm allowed to lie to. This man was saying, surely there's somebody I don't have to be nice to. When it says love people, surely Jesus can't mean everybody. And Jesus answered him with this story that we've heard, but it's good to repeat. In Luke 10.30, Jesus replied with a story. I like this man. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and was attacked by bandits. And when he says Jerusalem down to Jericho, it was actually down a very steep mountain. Uh, Very rocky, very barren, and to this day it is the haunt of bandits. So careful if you ever go to Jerusalem. By chance, uh, they, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there 
but he also passed by on the other side. It's interesting, there's a little asterisk by temple assistant. Temple assistants were people who were learning about the law of Moses. And one of the big things that was hammered into them while they were assistants was the fact that they were called to love and care for God's people. He learned his lesson well. Then a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man he felt compassion for him. Going over to him the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So in one little story, Jesus has revealed how we are to act towards people and who the people are that we're to act towards. So basically, we're called to be neighbours to everyone. So do not bear false witness against your neighbour means everyone. But it mentions your neighbour because it's important because when we lie, guess what happens? Apart from the obvious that the truth isn't told. Two people get hurt. The person you lie to and you. Lying is actually a very powerful and personal curse. It has incredible effects at a personal level that we don't think of. At, at, at a national level, for instance, uh, I read a stat the other day that said worldwide the cost of people lying on their taxes is $1 trillion a year in lost revenue for governments. $1 trillion a year. You're saying, yeah, but I, I don't lie that much on my tax return. I don't have a trillion dollars. But it mounts, uh, think of what the World Health Organization could do with a trillion dollars. Think of what you know, aid agencies could do. Think of what just governments could That's more than the gross domestic product of about the 50 poorest countries in the world all combined. It's a lot of money. Fraud costs governments billions and billions of dollars because people lie about things. I think Nathan last week mentioned the fact that you know, people lie on their resumes to get a job. And A, it affects you because often they get found out and fired. But B, there was another person going for that job who might well have not lied on their resume and been able to get it. So there's, there's two things. But apart from the, the global picture, if we bring it down to, to me and you, Lying is personal, and there is a cost. There was an interesting study done recently that suggests that honesty may boost your health. They checked that they got a couple of study groups. I'm not quite sure how they managed this, but they found that the health of people who are allowed to tell lies were compared with that of people who were told not to lie. Significantly, those people who did not lie showed far fewer mental and physical health problems. 
The psychologist on the study commented, when you find that you don't lie, you have less stress. Being conflicted adds an inordinate amount of stress to your life. An even more serious problem is that by lying, we actually start to destroy our ability to detect what is wrong in our own lives. The Bible teaches the only way we can come to know God is by admitting our wrong attitudes and actions and repenting of them. The hardest thing for somebody to say is that they're wrong. Still remember that whoever watched Happy Days, there was an episode there where the Fongs was wrong. And he stood there and he said, Sorry, I was... Incorrect. Because he couldn't say he was wrong. I mean, lying is so bad that we, we even lie about lying. You know, we don't lie. We massage the truth. Well, what does that mean? You sort of get the lumps out until it looks good so that you've massaged it so that you don't see that bit. You know, we're uh, economical with the truth. No, no, you're lying. You're not just economical with the truth. It means you've, you've lied by omission. You've left stuff out that's important. We have all, all of these different words because we don't even like to say that we're lying. You know, we have spin doctors. No, they're liars. They're people that other people hire, hire to tell lies about them so that people think they're better than they are. That's, that, that's all. Ah, but people will say, ah, but no, it's just a question of how you view the truth. Now, there's some merit in that. Let's not get too funny here. Whoever buys books from Amazon? Anybody? One of the, one of the things that I like is that if you, if you see a book and you're not too sure whether you're going to buy it, you look at the reviews. And they give a list that you can review it between one and five stars. And at a glance, you look at it, and if there's more five-star reviews than one-star reviews, you think, I want a winner. I could buy this one. And so, but sometimes you, you read the reviews. And it's, it's, it's amazing what you find out. You read a five-star review and they say, this author has encapsulated the ideal of whatever it is and expressed it in a manner that just made my heart explode with joy. Uh, I love this person and I can't wait for the next book to come out. That's my pet peeve. Get a good book and there's always the next book. Nobody writes just a book anymore. Everybody writes series. You always find the first book and then, yes, in six months' time, the next one's going to be released. You're thinking, I don't want to wait six months for a freaking book. Anyway, that's just me. No, nothing to do with my message. Sorry. But if you read the one-star reviews, this author does not know how to write. Sentence structure was choppy. Spelling was terrible. Editor needed to have been employed. Would not read this author in a blue fit. You still think, whoa! They both, did they both read the same book? What is going on? And so some people's view of what they've seen or read or, or done is quite different from other people's which is what it's not why it's not a good idea to engage in what we call moral relativism where people have different views of things we need a, a standard of somebody who isn't biased and god is that standard and the bible teaches that to get 
something from God, to get a relationship with God happening, he's not going to admit he's wrong. Did you, have you ever thought about it that way? When we have a relationship with God and he says, well, there's sin involved here and we need to get rid of that. He's not talking about him. He's not saying, yep, look, sorry, you know that, that flood thing with Noah? I stuffed up. That was, that was bad. Movie's not bad, apparently. But he does, it's not, that was part of God's plan. If we want to have a relationship with God, we've got to be humble enough to say, look, I've stuffed up. I've done things which were incorrect. I'm not the best I can be. I've lied to people. I've been wrong. And guess what God says? He doesn't say, you horrible little turd. You rotten little scumbag. I knew it all the time. You're nowhere near as good as you said you were. You out, out. He doesn't say that. He says, that's great to hear. I forgive you. Now that you've told me about all those sins, I'm going to forget them. We're going to carry on as though it never happened. Just don't do it again. He doesn't say all those nasty things, which we'll bleep from the tape later. (laughs) He doesn't condemn repentant people. But if we stand before God and say, yep, might have done some wrong things, but it was all your fault. Well, I don't think it was wrong, just because your silly book says it is. I think I did the right thing. I'm not going to just take me as I am. I'm not going to say I'm wrong. God says, well, that's great. I admire you for your, for your standpoint. And you say, well, come on, let, let me in. Uh, sorry, no can do. What, what do you mean? You just said you admired me for my... Yeah, but it's, that's great. Free will. I gave it to you. Good to see you're operating in it. But there is actually a restriction that you have to repent before you can come into my presence because I'm sort of holy and you're not and there's a law of the universe it's a bit like you know north and south pole magnets try as you might you can't make them stick together not because they hate each other it's just the law of the universe the opposite poles cannot be put together doesn't matter how hard you try the universe will make them pop apart and you can say but I was good I was a good child. I, I'm nice to people. I do all the right things. Doesn't matter if you're—you actually have to turn the polarity of one around so that it can be attracted by the other. And that's what repentance is. It's actually changing our polarity of thought, mind, and action to be in line with God, so that we can be attracted. That's all there is to it. It's not because He hates us. It's not because He's punishing us. He set in motion the universe and that is one of the rules and the laws of the universe. He is as bound by it as we are. So if we fabricate our lives, if we no longer know who we are, then we become blinded to the, the fact that we need to repent. If you don't know who you are and you don't know what you've done wrong, how can you repent? Because we're blinded to it. Habitual lying about who we are is like disabling the warning system in your car. It gives you the comforting illusion that there is nothing wrong. But it also prevents us from being warned that we may need to take serious corrective action. 
Who hates it when they get one of those little red lights that comes up on the dash? What does that mean? What's that oil can thing? What does that mean? Don't worry, just disconnect the warning light and it'll go away. And you feel better, don't you? Ah, it's not flashing anymore. It's good. But at some point, down the road, your car is going to come to a grinding halt because it's telling you you actually need to put oil in. And I don't know how much you know about cars, but oil is the thing that lubricates the stuff inside the engine. The metal bits that go up and down, pour out the smoke at the back. Is that too technical? Sorry. Guess what? Jesus, on the cross, took responsibility for all the bad things we've done. Unlike us who like to shift the blame onto somebody else, Jesus didn't say, "Ah, uh, look, by the way, I'm the Messiah. Can you take me down from here? It's all their fault. They did it. They lied. They cheated. But I'm pure. Get me down. Stick some of them up there instead. He didn't say that. He did the opposite of our human nature and said, I am here as a sacrifice for all the wrong you've done. I am here to pay the price for all the lies you've told all the sins you've committed so that you don't have to suffer eternal damnation and he took that on board and died and rose again so that we could actually simply turn to God and say Lord I've sinned, I've lied I'm sorry and he says welcome you think oh, it can't be that simple surely there's got to be a, a penance, a lashing perhaps Perhaps a near drowning, one of those experiences where you... No, God doesn't... He's not into torture. He's into repentance. The one innocent party in the history of the human race became guilty so that we might be spared guilt. We might not want to take responsibility for our lies, but Jesus does. And that price has been paid. All the guilt that burdens our lives right now has been paid for. Now in a couple of weeks, we're going to cover some strategies for living as people of truth. But right now, just to finish, I want, I want to look at how being truthful impacts us in the here and now. Now as a church, we have a vision for this year. As people, we have plans and visions for this year. At least I hope most of us do. And our theme, who knows what our theme is? Open heart, open mind open heaven who likes the idea of an open heaven who's not too sure about the other two because you see if you're going to have an open heart and an open mind it means that you're going to have to share with people you're going to have to be open to people and guess what doesn't work if you tell lies it doesn't work if you believe lies it's hard to work if you have lies told about you so if we're if we're going to live under an open heaven we actually have to open our hearts and our minds to the idea that we need to be telling the truth. The truth, guess what? will set you free. It will set you free from stress. It will it set you free from bad health. That, that, that survey I, experiment that I showed you did, that, that, I, I'd like that. Who'd like good health? Who's got good health? Liars. No, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Naughty. We need to 
look closely at, at how we're achieving the things we want to achieve this year. And say, is the truth a major part of that? Have I fudged something? That's another thing. You just fudge results. I remember when I worked at um, Adelaide University and we were doing a, a test to try and make a genetic change in something which we could see on a, um, a, a radiogram. Uh, the protein changed shape and so it moved faster. So we were looking for two columns with, with stripes in them. One stripe slightly higher than the other stripe. And we had The first one was fine. The control worked really well. But finding a stripe in the second one was really difficult. And uh, so because my boss was hassling me about why it wasn't working, I played a bit of a trick on him. And this was probably one of the originals because it was a fair while ago. I photoshopped it and took it into his office and said, look, I think we're getting results here. And he was so excited. I hated to burst his bubble. <laughs> Say, well, sorry, actually, we can't repeat that because I've just taken the bath from that one and moved on to the... And I just got... It was my first foray into Photoshop and I've loved it ever since. Um, but we, we want to look at what we're doing in terms of getting results as to whether we're fudging things, whether we're actually... You know, adding that, yeah, that looks, perhaps if I enhance it a bit, it'll look even more, or, yeah, I'd like to earn this, but, yeah, let's, how much work do I have to do? Ooh. Yeah, let, let's put down that I, I worked 26 hours this week. 24 and a half is pretty close. Um, you know, we like to lie about, you know, who, who likes paying speeding fines? No. I, I, I've got the perfect way of getting out of paying them. Don't speed. And yeah, who knows, when the police officer, you know how fast you were going? No! You know this is a 60, oh, is it? Really? Was I going over that? I didn't actually realise that. You liar! You knew perfectly well you were speeding. I mean, and yet, people get out of speeding in lots of different ways. I saw a Facebook post the other day that somebody proudly just posted, use my boobs to get out of a speeding fine. I'm thinking, What? This is somebody from another church that will remain nameless too. And I'm thinking, A, that you'd put it on Facebook, <laughs> and B, that you know, we do stuff to get out of being punished for things that we've done wrong. We lie in all sorts of inventive and amazing ways. I'm sad to say it's never worked for me. Perhaps if I unbuttoned it one more... <laughs> One of the other things we're emphasising this year is the importance of discipling people and being discipled. And that actually means being accountable to someone. Not so that they can point at you and say, ooh, it's good to know your secrets. Yeah, I've got a bit of power over you now. I know all the things you've been up to. It's so that if you go to someone with a problem and you don't tell them what the real problem is, how are they going to help you? very poorly we need to be open enough when we're being discipled to actually share the truth with the person who's mentoring or discipling us because guess what if you don't tell them the truth they're going to give you the wrong information they're actually going to make your situation worse because they are trying to help you with something which is a lie do you have a problem with your marriage no no it's fine Anybody who uses that word is automatically in trouble in my book. 
Fine. Uh-oh. You know, no, we're, we're very happy. We never argue. And then you discover that they get divorced a month later because they argue like cat and dog and they've, they've um, been hitting each other with baseball bats and all sorts of weird and interesting stuff. And all, all you've been told is, yeah, it's fine. So you say, well, keep on going the way you're going, which on the surface seems good advice, but knowing what was really going on is really, really bad advice. So the truth is really important. The other thing we've, we're looking at is the whole idea of, pre, of spreading the good news of the gospel, the truth of God's word to people who don't know it. How is somebody going to listen to the truth of the gospel coming from your lips when they know you're a liar? It's important that when we talk about God's word, that our character stands up. Because if we're somebody who says, look, I'll come around at five o'clock and tell you all about the good news of Jesus. 5.30 comes, six o'clock comes. Yeah, look, sorry I'm late. So, something uh, just came up and uh, it was, the dog died. And so I'm a bit late. Sorry about that. The dog didn't die. You just forgot. It's much better to say, look, I'm really sorry, but I had, had it all prepared and everything, but I just was watching The Price is Right and forgot all about it. <laughs> as shameful as that may be, the truth will actually make your testimony more real. Here is a person who gets sucked in by The Price is Right, and yet God still loves them. That is a powerful testimony. Because people see that we are, Christians have to be warts and all. We can't be sanitized. We can't just show our good sides. Because for every good side, there's a bad side. People aren't stupid. If they only ever see your good side, they start to wonder how bad your bad side really is. I can't be that good all the time. Surely they've got to have some faults. Yes, show people, not too many of them. But be real. Don't be false when you're spreading the, the word of God. If God has changed your life, it needs to show. If we lie and still say that we love God, we bind ourselves up. We get caught up in a double life. There's a life for God and there's a life not for God. And sometimes we get them confused. And we get bound up. Our health suffers. Our relationships suffer. Not because of the initial lot. It might have been a small one. Inconsequential. But lies have a habit of building. They're like links in a chain. The first link, it's not heavy. It doesn't do much. But attach the second link, a bit more. By the time you've got a 20 metre chain, the thing weighs a tonne. And you're dragging it round and you've forgotten what the first link was. You have to keep adding links because otherwise it's going to fall apart. And it weighs heavier and heavier on your life. Results in depression. Anxiety. Can I keep up the front? What did I tell this person? We have to maintain this facade all the time and it kills us 
Sometimes it's not that serious. Sometimes the only person we've lied to is us. It'll still kill you. Because deep down, the thing that we've got to realize is that God actually knows everything. You're not hiding anything from him. You're hiding it from yourself and from your neighbor. You're doing damage to yourself and to your neighbor. We can get rid of all of those things by doing two things. The first thing is to repent. God doesn't require that we go through and recover every single lie that we've told before he'll forgive us. We can actually stop it now and say, okay, Lord, I repent. My past life has been a life of lies. I'm stopping it now. I repent of all those lies that I've told. I'm making a new start. He doesn't say, we'll go and make them all right. We'll go and remember them all. And It's like the, the story of a, a man who confessed to a monk that he'd gossiped about somebody in his village. And he was really, truly sorry. And then that monk said, for your penance, I want you to go and get a, put a feather on the front of, on the doorstep of every single person you told. And he thought, oh, that's getting away easy. So he rushed out, got some feathers and put a feather on the doorstep of every person he'd, he'd gossiped to. Came back to the monk thinking he'd been let off easily. The monk said, okay, now go and collect them all again. He said, but I can't, they'll have blown away by now. And he said, exactly. And that's what happens to your words when you lie. You can't ever get them back. But you can start again. So the first thing is to repent. Say, look, and God forgets those things. We hang on to them. He says the chains are gone now. Live a life where you're not going to attract any more chains. You're not going to build another chain in your life. Stop now. Repent. The second thing we do is use the commandment. Do not bear false witness against anyone. Do not lie about yourself, to yourself, to somebody else, about somebody else, about your tax return, about your speeding fines about your hair color shoe size dress size I'm a size 12 I always get into a size 12 I know people who do that because they swap the labels when they get home they have a stack of size 12 labels at home and they put them on size 14 jeans just so that they can feel good about the fact that they, they can get into a size 12 how sick is that will you stand with me please Repent is a funny word. Most of us, our first, uh, our first connection with the word repent, at least for me it was, with, with old movies of people with placards saying, Repent, the end of the world is nigh. And it always reminded me of crazy people. Which is not necessarily a bad thing, I guess. But it, repent is just a word that means to change your mind repent in God's language is to actually change your thinking 180 degrees and so I want to give people an opportunity this morning if you're someone who doesn't believe in the truth of God but you've 
been told lies. You don't understand what the truth of God involves. You've never been in that sort of place where you've said, well, okay, I believe in the truth of Jesus Christ and I need to do something about it. Then I want to give you an opportunity this morning to turn that mindset around 180 degrees. Because I'm here to tell you that God is truth. That living a life following Jesus Christ will bring you truth, joy, fulfillment into your life. And so if you've never done that, if you've never said, look, okay, I'm going to accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to accept his truth into my life, and I'm going to follow God's truth, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that right here and now this morning. Because it only requires an invitation. And it's not an invitation by God, it's an invitation by us to actually invite God into our lives. So I'd like if everybody could just close their eyes for a moment and perhaps bow their heads so that no one's looking around. And if you would like to pray a prayer with me this morning that basically says, I'm going to change my mind on what I think about God and I'm going to follow Him. While nobody's looking around, I just want you to pop your hand up so that I can see it. I'll acknowledge it. You can pop it down again. Thank you. I see that hand. And we're going to pray a prayer that invites Jesus into your life so that you can live a life of truth. Is there anyone else who wants to do that? Okay, open your eyes. I also want to pray for anybody who feels that they have 60 kilo chains weighing them down. Now, I'm not going to ask you to come out because it's your sin, your lies that have done that, but I know that other people sometimes lie about us and we take on board those chains. Sometimes there are lies that we've believed that aren't true, that we may have told ourselves or other people may have told us. But we can actually break those chains this morning. We can actually start afresh. No matter what anybody said about you, no matter what you've said about yourself, no matter what lies you've told other people that are burdening you, God says there is a fresh start if we're prepared to lay those chains down and start afresh. So if I can get David to move that aside, I want to ask, if you want those chains broken this morning, you need to take a step, a step of faith. You need to step out on this altar and admit to God, I need to change something in my life. I need to stop believing those lies or I need to stop telling those lies or I need to I need to get out of an atmosphere where lying is binding me up and receive healing from God. So I, I'm, I want to chat. If you and the person who said they wanted to make that decision, I want you to come out here as well. And I want to pray for you all together. We're going to pray a prayer which is going to break those chains 
and those shackles from your life. So come forward right now and we're going to pray. Come on, be brave. Let me tell you, there are people standing there watching you come out wishing that they could be as brave as you can. You can. Come on. Anybody else? This is a time where we can be free. Okay, I want everybody out here just step forward a little bit more. And everybody there, I want us all to pray a prayer together. Because we need to remind ourselves that there is freedom in Almighty God. So I want you guys to repeat this after me, but I want you guys to repeat it as well. Are you ready? Dear God, this morning I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge that I am not the person you designed me to be. Right now, I lay that down on your altar and I accept the forgiveness and love that you have for me. I consider myself reborn as a child of God, pure and holy from this point on. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour and I believe in His power to bring my life to the place it should be. In Jesus' name, Amen. Lord, I pray right now that the shackles and the chains of lies told, of lies received, of lies believed are broken right here, right now. Lord, I thank you for freedom. I thank you for a new life. I thank you for new standards of behavior. I thank you for new belief and the possibilities of the truth of Almighty God. Thank you, Lord, that these people are going to stand in truth without wavering. I thank you, God, that truth becomes a central portion of everything that they do. I thank you, Lord, that they are protected against the lies that other people would spread. I thank you, God, that their hearts are protected against the lies that their mind tells them. And Lord, I command the shackles of sin to fall right now from every single person on this altar. I thank you, Lord, that they are reborn free, pure, and new. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. You can take your seats. There's actually one other person I'd like to pray for. If you could stay here, Brendan and Kane. Now, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to. I believe that there have been things said about you, things that you believe about yourself, things that have come from people who you have trusted and loved and accepted their words into your life that are false. I believe great harm has been done 
and you believing some of these words. And this morning, I want to break those chains and shackles on your life. I want you to know that God created you exactly as he wanted you. That your mind and your heart are in line with what God says about you. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He says, this man, born of woman, but blessed by God, has the capability and the power to change his world. I thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit runs deep in Cain. I thank you, Lord, that there are bonds in his heart being melted right now. I thank you, Lord, that there are shackles in his mind which are being broken, that his thinking is being set free, that his mind is clear, his eyes are focused on you and the things that you have for his life in this future, and that his past and the lies told about him, the lies that he has received and believed, no longer have any power from this moment on in Jesus' name. Be free. Be empowered. Be loved. In Jesus' name. Amen. Stomach in, chin back, eyes level. Don't forget it. You're a man of God. Cool. I think Pastor Vicky's going to close the meeting. <laughs>